you've got your Bibles, we're going to still be in Genesis chapter 1 here this morning. We are, we are going to be moving along. Can you go back and shut down number 1? So, uh, last week when, when you were here, we talked about day 2 about how that is one of the unique days in the, in the creation account because it's the one day where, where there isn't any indication of God saying that it was good. We talked about that last week, about how speculation, it's because he wasn't quite done with the waters yet. Um, here we are on day three, and he's going to continue finishing with the waters. Let's read the passage together. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. All the waters gathered together in one place. That is uh, one of the, the, the ideas behind that um, was that at that time, there was just one big sea and one massive continent. There are some uh, that, have, uh, that have identified that as Pangea, all earth gathered together. Um, that's not necessarily when it says that the waters were gathered together in one place. I guess if you were to look at the earth today, the way that you would see it, all the waters, all the oceans are still all connected together, even though we give them separate names. So it is possible that there were separate continents that were created when God separated the waters from the dry land. Um, but there is some evidence that, that at one point there was some connection together between um, some of those, uh, some of the, the the land masses that we've got here, in um, on the earth. This is uh, some drawings that were put together by uh, a man in uh, 1858. His name was Antonio Snyder Pellegrini, um, and uh, he was a a Christian who was looking at this passage in Genesis and, and looking at, at the, the way that it talked about how the land and the sea, it seemed like there was this uh, distinction that was there. And then he also looked at the map and saw how, like all of us have seen, it looks like a giant puzzle piece that all the things kind of fit together. And he thought, well, maybe there was this all um, landmass together and over time, that has separated and moved. And, and we know today that, that the continents are actually moving. The different tectonic plates that are there on the earth are actually moving in, in a number of different directions. Um, very slowly, uh, most of them, I think I, they say on average, it's about around an inch per year that the, continent, the, the, the tectonic plates are moving, which, 
which for a, for a uniformitarianism, a person that, that believes that, that the processes that are at work today have always been, that then lends credibility to the fact that, that they've moved so far that it would have taken many, many years to make that kind of movement. When we get to talking about the flood, uh, that tectonic plates, those movements, are a key part of, of how we're understanding the, when it says that the, the waters of the deep burst forth, that the fountains burst forth, that, that there very likely was some catastrophic movement of those tectonic plates that God was at work in that, and, and they moved quite rapidly rather than slowly, and that's part of the process that created the, uh, the, the rains and the flood and, and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, it is certainly a possibility. The, the, the availability is there. There are some other things that also kind of lend credibility to this, under, to this uh, viewpoint. There are fossils of the same, um, uh, both creatures as well as plants, that are located in a number of the different continents around our world. And one of the explanations of that is if it was one large continent that was all connected that has been moving apart, those animals and those plants would have had an opportunity of moving in different directions. And then as the, um, as the land has separated, we then can find fossils that belong to the same creature both in South America as well as in Southern Africa and so on and so forth, you see the, the evidences that are there. So that lends some credibility to this understanding that, these, uh, that, that there at once was a, a large landmass. There's also, in, in the geological record, there are mountain ranges that have the same types of rocks in them, the same type of structure that has the same kind of molecular connection, but they are separated by all of this ocean. And so again, as you look at if, if all of this was one large continent, those mountain ranges were actually connected together. And then as the tectonic plates have, have been moving, um, those have been separated onto the different continents. Um, so it is an interesting, it's an interesting thought. It's, it, it, there, there certainly is evidence for that, and, and it is uh, uh, a very... Uh, that's one of the, the classes that I was teaching in science this last term with uh, the homeschool group. And it was very interesting to look and see how those tectonic plates have been moving and, and how that would have contributed to a global flood and all those kinds of things. But, but how, how did the water and the land separate? How, how the, the Bible doesn't go into a lot of, a lot of detail. It, it seems to be the emphasis is that God was moving the water and the dry land appeared. Um, it certainly could have been that God was putting some supernatural pressure on, on the, the globe and, and, and dropping the ocean floor that he was pushing that down so the waters would then be gathered into those deep areas on our planet and that would have then revealed the, the dry land. 
Uh, he could have been raising up some of the dry land, which then would have forced the waters out into some of those lower-lying areas. Um, and there is, uh, again, some evidence for that. You, you can imagine that massive amount of water movement in, in a short period of time would have created a lot of silt and erosion. And, and we see some sedimentary rock layers that are down lower than uh, down in the what's now uh, deemed the, the Precambrian area. The, the Cambrian area is a, 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 a levels of, of, of sedimentary rock that as reading from the Bible, we would associate with the flood because that's where the, the fossils all begin. In those lower sedimentary levels, there are no fossils um, that, that anybody has been able to find. And so the, the, the theory is, is that sediment, that erosion would have happened prior to the flood, would have laid down those layers, was part of the development and could very well have been during this moment as God was separating the waters from the land. It's entirely possible. There's another hypothesis that a, a, a creationist has come up with in the last I think it was about 30 or 40 years ago. His name is Dr. Russell Humphreys. And he looked at 2 Peter. We're going to come back to first, um, uh, or to Genesis 1, but, but just have a quick look over at 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter's not specifically talking about how creation occurred. But he is talking about creation and talking about how our faith um, is established in believing uh, that God did create in the way that he created. It's 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. And this is in the context of, of, uh, of talking about the, the, the last days and how we can have faith that those last days will come. Uh, verse 5 here says in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and that the earth was formed, listen to this, out of water and through water, and by the word of God. And that the, by the means of these, and then he goes on to talk about the, the flood and, and so on and so forth. Uh, that, that way that he frames, phrases it is that the earth was made out of water and through water. Um, Dr. Humphreys looked at that and, and said, well, what if when God first created, on that first day, created the heavens and the earth, and the earth, as we remember, was without form and empty? What if it was just a giant ball of water? that all it was was water. And then here on the third day, that, that God was able to, to, with the word of his mouth, separate the water from and, and create all of the rest of the elements, taking some of that water and, and working it a, 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 in a supernatural way to, to create all of the other different elements that then became the dry land. So he separated the water and, and he... As, as he did this, he, he talked about how it would need to be this, this super aligning of, 
of the, the hydrogen atoms that made up all of the water. And that would create a, a, a magnetic uh, pole, a magnetic force that would then allow the opportunity for electricity to flow through that could have then been the means through which God separated all of the, the atoms and created all of the other different atoms that then set up the, the different elements that are in, uh, that are, that are in the earth today. Uh, he, he then continued to carry that through because there's a number of things that the geologists have found that there have been fluctuations in our magnetic poles, that at different times in our history, the magnetic poles of the earth have switched north and south a number of times. And the way that they know that is, is the crystals that are within the, uh, the rock layers are pointed in different directions as the, the different uh, lava has, has flowed out onto, onto the earth and cooled, that at different times all of the crystals were pointed towards the North Pole and that at other times it switched to the South Pole. And there's been a number of fluctuations back and forth. And he uh, tied that to the reality of, of, of where our magnetic poles come, that it, that it all started from this initial separation of the, of the water from the elements and, and the, uh, the magnetic force that would have happened there, that, that the world, the, um, the magnetic field that's around the earth has continued to decay from this point so that we see where it is. And, and as he calculated how that decay would come about, he landed on where it, it fits within the same kind of of uh, timeline is what we have here of Scripture. Um, that, that in 6,000, 8,000 years, that that decay process would have resulted in, a, in the magnetic force that we have today. He was actually able to also uh, uh, predict the magnetic decay and the magnetic fields that would be on some of the other planets in our solar system as well. And so when Voyager went out, uh, he had made these predictions before that it had reached Neptune and Uranus. Um, and and when, when Voyager went by, it, it measured the magnetic force and, and actually it fit exactly the, the predictions that he had of what that force would be if they too were just balls of water that God then um, turned into uh, all the other elements. It's interesting. Um, could be one of the ways that God did it. But we know that, that whatever... That, I guess the, the reason that I think that that's valuable is because it's always more impactful when, when a theory makes predictions that then are proved to be true. Uh, that gives that theory much more credibility. And, um, and so there are a number of people, I've, I've been reading in, in some of the books, um, some, of the, some other uh, of today's scientists, creationists and stuff that are taking Dr. Humphrey's discoveries and his uh, calculations very seriously and looking at the implications of that, of how that would have worked out in, in our history. Um, very interesting. But then we come to verse 10, and, and God called the dry land earth, and the waters that he gathered together we called the seas. Um, this is something that, that we've already kind of seen, but, but I, I did make a note of it before. 
the naming of, of things is significant. The, the one who names something has authority over that thing. And, and we've seen through this whole process when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. God has control and authority over day and night. God let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse, uh, so on and forth. And God called the expanse heaven. God has authority over the heavens. And here we see God has authority over the land that he called the earth and over the waters that he called the seas. That's significant to recognize the authority that God has over all of this, we're going to see that God names man and has authority over man. And then God invites humanity to then name the animals. That we would have authority over what God has created and it just reaffirms that whole understanding of of authority structures of dominion, so on and so forth that, that we're going to read. It is significant that God is the one who called the land earth, called the waters seas, that he has authority over, over it all. And God saw that it was good. And with that, God completed his work of forming. Remember when we were back in day one where we talked about how the, the earth was, was without form and empty. We're now going to see God shift from forming. He formed light and named it darkness and, and light and night, night and day. God formed the earth. He formed the heavens. And he's been forming and he, and he created the, the sky and he created the heavens. He created the expanse that's between there. Now he has dry land that is suitable, it's habitable for humanity. He's done the forming. And now he's going to shift his direction to the emptiness and start filling that which he has formed. Let's keep on reading here in verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their, is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So God has, has sufficiently formed the earth and now he is, getting it, he is filling it with life. That vegetation that will be an essential part of, of humanity's nutrition, humanity's ability to be able to, to carry out its role of, of, of 
filling the earth, of subduing the earth, of leading all of creation into worship of this great creator God. Um, he does it here on the third day uh, because this is in some way the, the, uh, the plants certainly are alive, but they're not characterized as living creatures. We're going to see in the subsequent days that, that the creatures that he fills the skies, the ocean, the land with are referred to as living creatures. Um, but plants, even though that they are alive, that they grow and wither, that's another thing. The Scripture never talks about plants dying. It talks about them withering. And there's some significant differences that are there. And, and, and uh, it's interesting. It I was actually it was one of the things, and this is just a little aside, but it kind of was slipping through my mind this week. You hear evolutionists talk a lot about the evolution of living creatures. You don't really hear them talk about plants, the development of, of plant life. Are, are we... Did, did, did living creatures first become plants and then animals? And it just is, gets a little bit fuzzy for me. But anyway, that's another thing that's just something that I uh, was interested in. This, this idea that, that, that plants um, are alive but not living. And uh, plants here are created each according to their own kind. This is going to be significant as we later talk about the, the other creatures that are going to be filling the earth um, and, and to, to talk about how God created special kinds, but then those, within those kinds, there's all kinds of adaptability that then developed into the huge diversity that we see around us today. Similar with the plants. Each one has its own kind and there is the... Uh, uh, there's abilities to be able to, to do some crossbreeding with different kinds of plants, but there are differences that will not transmit from one kind to another. And so it, it gets in the way of this idea that, that every living thing has common ancestry, that they all evolved from one thing. There, there would have needed to be a great diversity in, in the start in order to create the great diversity that we have here. And the best explanation for that is a creator God that spoke and made what it is. So God is filling the earth. He's beginning that process of filling the earth with all that is good. And God saw what He had made. And He said... It is good. As I was looking at this, I was thinking that that whole idea of forming and filling, of how God was forming the earth and then filling it, you can relate that to our own lives as well. Our salvation. That, that in, in many ways, before we put our faith in Christ, Scripture tells us that we are dead. There is no life. You could say that we are without form and empty. 
Because all that's within us is, is, is the, the, the twisted nature of our sin. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, where Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and in the sins of your heart. We were tohu vabohu, formless and void. But Jesus gave his life so that we could be brought to new life in him. That, that through that process of Him paying the penalty for our sins, that, that we then are formed into His image. I'm thinking specifically of that passage in 2 Corinthians, and you can turn with it with me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen, and this is a marvelous promise that I need to bring myself back to time and time again. Paul writes for us there in Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new. Creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. See, we, when, when we are in Christ, when we have been justified through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we have received that gift of grace for ourselves, that we've acknowledged that we are dead, that, 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 that our sins and our trespasses have separated us from a holy and perfect God. And there's nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves. When we submit ourselves to, in faith to the grace that God has extended to us and we receive that for ourselves, we are made new. We are formed into His image. All of that old deadness has gone and it, and it has now been made new. So uh, that process of justification, of moving us from a place where we are guilty of sins, where we are now innocent, where we are blameless, where we are pure before a holy God, that's the forming of our lives. But God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just rescue us and then leave us on to our own devices to go and live life the way that we would. No, He not only forms us, but He also fills us. And I couldn't think of a better verse to illustrate that than Genesis chapter 5. Not Genesis chapter 5. It starts with a G, but not the same word. Galatians chapter 5 is what I meant to say. And this is a familiar passage in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. As we're talking about how God filled the dry land with all of the vegetation. How does He fill us? The fruit 
of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, that fruit of the Spirit is not something that we that we focus on producing. It's not like we have this list and we have to go, okay, today I'm working on kindness. I need a little more kindness in my life, and so I'm going to focus on being kinder in the things that I do. That's not how the fruit of the Spirit is produced in my life. The fruit of the Spirit, once I am formed into the image of Christ, He then fills me with that fruit. Verse 16 of chapter 5 in Galatians says, I walk by the Spirit. I will not gratify the desires of my flesh. That, that, that as I follow the Spirit's work in my life and I allow Him to, to lead and guide me, that this fruit then just grows. It's the work of God. Nothing that I do on my own. And you can be sure that as, as you allow God to form and fill you, that when He looks at your life, He sees it and says, it is good. Now I know the, the question that comes out of that is, What if my life's not showing that fruit? What does that mean for me? What that means is I'm not living a life under the authority and control of the Creator God that produces that fruit in my life. I'm trying to do things in my own strength. And that's my problem. If so often my life looks more like the list that's earlier on there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And when my life is looking like that, what it's showing, again, it's called the fruit, right? The fruit of the flesh. What's produced in my life, if I'm depending on my own strength, is all of that ugliness. But when I'm keeping my eyes focused on the Spirit, when I'm allowing God to fill my life, then it's the fruit of the Spirit that begins to pop up. I think that for me that has become such a, uh, a powerful litmus test when I'm assessing my life. Do I find myself being quick to get angry at things that are going on around me? 
Do I find myself being jealous or envious of, of other people's, the things that they have in their life or, or the way that their life is going? Do I find myself putting other things as a greater priority than God, that, 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 that financial stability is more important than my relationship with God? When I'm seeing those things in my life, what that means is I'm, is I'm not putting myself in a place to be filled by God. And I need to change my focus to be able to again listen to the Spirit and allow Him to lead and guide, to strengthen me, to, to lay out the steps in front of me so that then His fruit will then be produced in my life. I don't know about you, where you're at in this week. What fruit have you been seeing produced in your life? Do those angry thoughts pop into your head way too quickly? Frustrations with others, with circumstances, with situations. You find yourself looking at other people, at the relationships they have, the, the things that they have, the, the opportunities they've been given. And you, you feel envious and jealous. You wish you had that. You're, you're not going to be able to stop those thoughts or that fruit being produced in your life if you try and, and be more disciplined and not getting angry, and be more focused on not, al- not allowing jealousy to, to, to invade your life. The way that that fruit is going to stop being produced and the fruit of the Spirit is going to be produced is by you focusing your attention on Christ, listening to His voice, immersing yourself in, in His presence and in His truth. God will do it. He will fill you. He will be able to look and say, it is good. Let me encourage you to surrender into his leading and his his filling in your life this week. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your miraculous work of creating and filling us with the fruit of your Spirit, with your character being revealed in us. What a marvelous world it would be if we were all walking in, your, in step with your Spirit and producing that kind of fruit. What, what a tremendous testimony that would be. What a... What a what an amazing way to reach out to a lost and dying world by seeing your, your character, your fruit, the fruit of your spirit being lived out in us. 
pray that you would forgive me for all the times that I try and, 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 and do that on my own rather than surrendering myself to your Spirit's work, listening to you and, and following where you lead me. Lord, would you come, would you fill us Lord, I pray for those that are here today that, 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 that have, have never surrendered to your grace in their lives, that have yet to be formed, to be brought to life. Would you today be opening up their eyes and, and, and their, their minds and their hearts to be ready to receive that gift of grace that you extend to them, that they no longer have to live dead in their sins, but instead they can live in the fullness of you forming them in life. And then they would be able to experience the wonder of you filling. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can trust you. Amen.